stage still set the way it was set last week, and the reason is because back at the beginning of the year, when we were looking at our plans for doing shipwrecked VBS, uh, the Lord laid it on my heart to start a series the following week, and we're calling it Shipwrecked. And I want to speak to you out of the book of Acts, chapter 27, about an incredible journey. So if you want to go with me to Acts 27, that's where we'll be today. You know, the, the idea of storms and shipwrecks being an allegory for life is not lost on any of us, is it? Like, we, we can all relate to that idea of feeling like we've been through a storm. Am I alone today? Or we've been there before? Y'all are making me nervous. Don't get too quiet. <laughs> we can all point back to circumstances in our life where we felt like there was a gale force wind that just came against us. We were surprised by it. It took us off course, took us in a direction we didn't want to go. Maybe you feel like you've been through uh, some shipwrecks in your life. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to look at one of Paul's journeys, the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at one of his journeys, and we're going to look at some of the situations that he faced in it. And, and I just, I want to say at the onset that here's, here's what I know about you and about me, that life is not short on limitations. When I'm not going to stay there too long. I don't want to depress everybody, but we can all testify that life is not short on limitations. There's things that, that, will, that will hold you back. And likewise, life is not short on things that, that will shake us up, that will get us out of our element and take us into situations and and scenarios that we would rather not be in. Well, for the Apostle Paul, those setbacks were shackles. I mean, physical chains. And the shakeups for him were storms. I mean, literal storms. And so what we have in Acts chapter 27 is the story of one of the journeys that Paul took on the Mediterranean Sea. And we're going to read about this. And I believe that God is going to say some things to us out of this literal storm about the circumstances that we face in our own lives. Now, here's what, here's what I know. If you're not in a storm today, you either just came out of one or you're about to go in one. That's the truth, right? Life is not short on limitations, on opposition. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also said, Take heart or be of good courage because I have overcome the world. How many of you know there's still victory for us today? Amen. amen. Come on, I'm going to just keep asking for amens until you convince the person next to you. Come on, say amen. 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 Are you in Acts chapter 27 yet? If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat uh, near you, in front of you on the book rack. We'll put a lot of these verses on the screen today. Look at verse one with me, Acts 27. It says, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. Now, I know that verse just blessed you so much. You're already just going, wow, manna from heaven. This is so good. So let's take a moment right now and pray over this word. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share the word of God. I don't take it lightly. God, I believe you want to do something supernatural. You would take limited, fallible, 
lips such as mine, and that you would let them be the vessel that the authoritative, unchanging, powerful word of God could penetrate hearts and lives. God, help us all to remember today that each and every one of us have a responsibility to the word of God. For Jesus, you said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So God, we know you're speaking today. Your word is true and unchanging. God, give us ears to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. That was a little better. We're getting there with the amens. Verse one. Now, I am going to get through a lot of this chapter, I promise you, but I'm going to move slow because when I read this verse for about the 15th time this week as I meditated on it, these first couple words stood out to me. I want to read them again. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy. Can I just say by way of introduction in this message today that this journey was not one of Paul's choosing? It didn't say I decided. It didn't say Paul decided. It said it was decided for him. We won't take the time to, to go back through the last several chapters of Acts, but in case you haven't read it lately, let me catch you up to speed. In Acts chapter 21, Paul the apostle is arrested. He's put on trial from one place to another, from one courtroom to another, until finally he's locked up for two years. He's in prison, in chains. And he is awaiting another trial. And then he finally gets the opportunity in Acts chapter 26 to stand trial before King Agrippa. As he stands trial before King Agrippa, he appeals to Caesar because Paul's a Roman citizen. He realizes he's getting nowhere with this trial. But King Agrippa says something at the end of chapter 26 after being so compelled by Paul's speech, he said, this man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. But since he did, he's outside of our jurisdiction. And so begins Paul's official journey to Rome. He's going to stand trial before Caesar. Now, I don't know if you have maps in the back of your Bible. I have maps in the back of mine. Anybody got maps in the back of your Bible? If you look at those maps, maybe you've wondered, what are these here for? Acts chapter 27 is one of the reasons you have a map in the back of your Bible. Because one of those maps probably has a heading similar to mine that says Paul's missionary journey. Paul's missionary journeys. And, and there's four squiggly lines all over the map. The first color line, maybe it's a purple line, says Paul's first missionary journey. And so you can follow that purple line all over around the Mediterranean and see where he went. And then there's another color. Maybe it's a, a blue line, and it says Paul's second missionary journey. And then there's another one. Maybe it's a, a green line. It says Paul's third missionary journey. And then in my Bible, there's, there's a fourth line, a red line, and it says trip to Rome. Now, I got to be honest. As I was studying this text this week, and then I went back and I looked at the maps. Now, as we read some of 27, you're going to know why I looked at the maps. You need a map. But as I read it, I thought, you know, the more I read this journey, I don't like the heading trip to Rome. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you why I don't like the heading trip to Rome, because truth be told, though Paul is in chains, though Paul, this trip has been decided for him. It's not the trip he would have wanted to go on. The reality is on this entire journey, he doesn't hold back on preaching the gospel any more than he did on the other three trips. 
He's no less concerned about edifying and building up the churches. He doesn't cower back from the opportunity to pray and to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. And the more I read about this journey, you know what this is? This is Paul's fourth missionary journey. And what that, the reason that matters to you is because you need to know this today, and I need to be reminded today that it doesn't matter if I'm in a situation that I chose to be in or if I'm in a situation that I feel shackled to. You are on mission for Jesus today. Amen. Students, don't say, when I get out of school, I'll do something for God. That, that school that you're going back to in about a month, you're on assignment for Jesus. You have a mission there. Senior adults, don't say, I I can't get around like I used to, to serve the Lord. The reality is the place that you are in with the limitations that you currently have, you can be there on assignment for Jesus. We have some ladies in this church that that live at the Senior Living Center just across the way in Columbia, and and they're on assignment. They've talked to me about it. They said, you know what? God is going to build a group of believers here. They took some of our our life group DVDs home several weeks ago said, we're going we're gonna to begin to reach people right here. Why? Because, and we talked about this a few weeks ago in our Greatest Show series, you can't forget the all in the call. And one of the alls in the call of the Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That means it doesn't matter if I'm taking a journey that I've chosen to go on, or if I find myself in a situation that I would have never wanted to be in, it's still all. It's still included in the call. And I love that Paul doesn't discount the opportunities that God has given him just because somebody else decided where he was going to go and when he was going to go there. Paul sees the moment. He sees the opportunity. And later, in hindsight of this journey, when he was in Rome, spoiler alert, he does get to Rome. But when he gets there, he writes a letter to a church in Philippi that he had helped start. And when he's looking back on this journey, here's what he says in Philippians chapter one, verse 12. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Here's what's happened to him. He's writing this letter. He's still in shackles. He's still chained to a Roman guard. They're on a constant rotation. He is always under their watchful eye. It has never changed. It never got better. And here Paul is saying, you know, when I think about everything that's happened to me, it served to advance the gospel. Now, you might not feel like it today, but can I just speak prophetically into your life right now? You're going to look back on this season of your life in the near future, and you're going to say the same thing. Today, you might say, you know what? I I don't understand what I'm going through. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand why God's allowing this in my life. But soon and very soon, you're going to look back and you're going to say, what happened to me was for the advancement of the gospel. You're going to say the same thing Joseph said. And when he looked back on all those years of being a slave and being a prisoner and being in a foreign land and being separated from his father, he looked back in Genesis 50 and he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good for the saving of many people. And Paul looks back and he says, actually, what happened to me served to advance the gospel. 
Let me show you another verse in hindsight. You know, hindsight's 2020. It's always easy to look back, right? But sometimes God lets us look back, and it's a gift of his grace. That stuff that we struggled through, we can see his leading through. And, and Paul was looking back on his life, looking back on this journey and all that had happened to him. And he writes a letter to a young pastor who maybe hasn't been through quite as much yet. And he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, these words. Talking about this gospel, he says, my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, still in chains, by the way, as he writes to Timothy, the way he wrote to the Philippians, the way he wrote to the Colossians, he's still in chains for this gospel. But look at what he says next. He says, but God's word is not chained. Can we just all read that part out loud together? Come on. But God's word is not chained. You ever feel chained sometime to your circumstances? You ever feel like you're, you're chained to this desk, chained to this job? I, I'm chained to this illness or this sickness, or, or you're chained to these financial difficulties, or you feel like you're chained in this marriage and things are not going the way you wish they could go, and things are not working out the way you want them to work out. But I want to tell you, no matter how many shackles are wrapped around your heart and your life, God's word is not chained. And what you need to know here on week one as we go through the last part of Acts, never once does the circumstance change in the natural for Paul. Never once does somebody give him the key and unlock the shackles of his life. But yet Paul chooses to take a perspective that every one of us need to get a hold of today. See, here's what the devil would love for you to do. The devil would love for you to become fixed on your preferences instead of God's purpose for your life. He would love for you to get fixated on how you want it to go so much that you forget why he's put you here to do it in the first place. I mean, you can look through all the Old Testament men and women who went through difficult circumstances and the temptation of the enemy is always the same. It's to get us to be fixated on our preferences and forfeit our purpose. Think about Joseph. You think he would have rather gotten that position of authority in Egypt another way? Absolutely. Think he would have rather not been falsely accused not been thrown in prison, not been sold as a slave by his own family? You think he would have rather avoided those hardships? Absolutely. But all the way through his story, we hear the word of the Lord. The Lord was with him. Think about Moses. Don't you think he would have rather had a, a different route through the wilderness? I mean, one that doesn't take 40 years, one that doesn't involve him watching all of his peers and his family, his entire generation, die in the wilderness so that another generation could be raised up to go into the promised land. Think about David, a teenage boy anointed to be the next king of Israel. Don't you think that maybe he would have rather avoided the next 15 years of hiding from the very king that he would serve, running for his life, hiding in caves, waiting for the moment that God would fulfill his purpose in his life. And it's the same for us. It's the same for you and me. The devil wants you to get fixated on your 
preferences, and so you'll miss God's purpose. You know, churches don't split over purpose. I mean, you can go into any Bible-believing evangelical church today, and, and we, we all have unique ways of saying it, but we all have the same purpose, right? And we want to glorify God. We want to preach the gospel. We want to reach the lost. And we all have the same desires. Now, we might phrase it in our own unique ways, but the purpose of the church is not created by the pastor. It's created by Jesus, the Lord of the church. No, no, no. What, what do churches split over? Well, I think we ought to sing out of the hymnal. Well, I like the contemporary songs. Well, I think we ought to have pews. Well, I think we ought to have chairs. Well, I think we ought to do that. Well, I think we ought to do that. It's preference, right? It's preference. And so Satan wants to get you to miss the why. Because you're so consumed with the how. I can't believe I'm going to Rome in shackles. No, 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 that's not it. Paul, you're going to Rome. It's the same in marriage. You know, when, when a, a man and woman stands at the altar in front of me, they, they say to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor. Now, we all hope for richer not poor, right? We all hope for better, not worse. But the reality is we don't know. We don't know how this is going to go. It could be health. It could be sickness. But what are we doing? We're standing here before God and these witnesses to say the why matters more than the how. I'm committed to the purpose of this marriage. I'm committed to the fact that, that the Bible says that the marriage between a husband and a wife is the greatest illustration of God's love for his bride, the church, that is on the face of the earth. And so a man leaves his father and his mother, and he clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh, Genesis says. And Paul quoted it, and then he adds these words, and he says this. He says, and I'm speaking about a mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. He was saying that there's nothing else in the world that illustrates the steadfast, unchanging love that Jesus has for the church he bled and died for than when a man and a woman say the why matters more than the how, and I don't care if it's good or if it's bad, if it's celebration or if it's shackles. If we're fighting, if we're fussing, or if we're just in a perpetual honeymoon, I am in it for the why. Amen? Amen. Satan's strategy is always the same. To get you fixated on the process of how you're getting there and your preferences for how you're getting there and to miss the purpose for why you're going. If there's anybody that has a right to say, you know what, this isn't fair. I, I didn't sign up for this. I, I, I quit. If there's anybody that had that right... How many of you know it's the Apostle Paul? I mean, you want to talk about hardship. This guy has seen some hardship. He had just spent two years as a prisoner, and now he's boarding a ship in chains. But he never let the how keep him from the why. He refused to let his unfulfilled preferences paralyze him from his God-given purpose. God's word is not chained. Yeah. 
That's what Paul knew. I might be chained. I might have limitations. I might not be able to do everything I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it, but God's word is not chained. Paul had actually prayed to go to Rome. I, I will show you all the places that are referenced in scripture, but, but let me give you one of them. It's in Romans, a letter that he wrote to the Christians living there before he ever went. He's never been to Rome. And yet his heart so longed to go there, he wrote for them the greatest epistle that we have in the word of God. He said this to him in Romans 15, verse 23. He said, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And then when you skip down to verse 29 in that chapter, he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Now, I have to smile when I read that. Paul is just optimistic and faith-filled, and he says, when I come to Rome, I'm going to come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Now, I don't know what he thought the full measure of the blessing of Christ was going to be. But I dare say he probably didn't think he would be in shackles, surrounded by a bunch of prisoners on their way to Rome. When Paul said the full measure of the blessing of God, he probably thought the same way you and I think. Boy, it's going to be good. It's going to be happy times. It's going to be favor. It's going to be smooth sailing. I don't know how you would quantify the circumstances that you're in right now. What I want you to see today is no matter what you would call it or how long you've dealt with it, the God who leads your life is not chained. God's word is not chained. And you are going to get where he wants you to go with the full measure of God's blessing on your life. If you believe it, somebody ought to say amen. Amen. He wants to lead and guide and direct your steps. Now, I told you it would take me a while to get past the first verse. Look at it again. When it was decided. Who do you think made that decision? I mean, in the natural, it looks like it was, the, it was King Agrippa. Or maybe it was this centurion, Julius, who decided to board them on this boat. I want you to see today that it was the sovereign God of the universe who was ordering the steps of his servant Paul, not on some prisoner voyage to Rome, but on his fourth missionary journey. It was God who was leading his life. And not only was he getting him to Rome, but he was making the Roman Empire pay for the trip. As a federal prisoner of the state, Paul has a free ride to Rome. God's leading his life. As you look through chapter 27, this chapter has been described as the finest description of a sea voyage in the ancient world on record today. That's saying a lot. Not just in the Bible, but in the ancient world, chapter 27 of the book of Acts has been called the most accurate description of a sea voyage. This chapter reads like the travel log of the ship's captain. 
I would encourage you, if that stuff fascinates you, to, to get your Bible map out and to read through every little step of this journey and see the, the accuracy of this text. But rather than reading all of that today, what I want to do is I, I just want to highlight some of the descriptive phrases. I believe the Holy Spirit had Luke write some of these phrases in so that we could get the, the tone and, and the intensity of this voyage. So if you're there in Acts chapter 27, just look at verse 4. They've already set sail. In fact, they found out the vessel they started with wasn't big enough to handle the, the waters, and so they've jumped ship to another vessel, and now they're taking off again. And it says, from there we put out to sea again. And we passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Key in on that. Look down at verse 7. It says, we made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off of Sinaitis. He says, when the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. Look at verse 8. He says, we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Look at verse nine. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them. Now, here's what's happening. When, it, when you get past about November 11th, all, all, the, all the voyages stop. All the ships are put into harbor. Many are taken out of the water for the winter months. And so by saying this is after the Day of Atonement, we know that it's mid, if not late, October. And this has been a hard voyage, and things have not gone well so far. And so verse 9 says, so Paul warned them. And look at verse 10. Here's what he said. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Verse 11. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Now, now put yourself on board. And you understand that this, this is not illogical that he would not listen to the Apostle Paul. He's not looking at Paul as the great apostle of the church who wrote over half the New Testament. He's got the pilot. He's got the owner of the ship. And then there's this guy back there in shackles who's a prisoner on his way to a court hearing who's saying, I don't think you guys should go yet. So you understand that the centurion, who is the highest ranking officer and has the final say, does not listen to Paul in this moment. He ignores it. I want to tell you, Paul may not have been the most experienced captain on this vessel, but he had some experience. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Paul gives this report of his own life. He says, three times I was shipwrecked, and I spent a night and a day in the open seas. Now, he wrote that three years before this trip. So Paul, maybe not the best captain on board, but absolutely the most experienced at crashing ships and surviving them. He said, look, I have seen how this goes. I know what's about to happen. I have been out here. I have spent a night and a day holding on to a board, 
praying that God would wash me ashore. I know how this goes. I've been down this road before. Now, I want to show you a map. Now, this one doesn't have all four of his journeys. It just has one of the journeys. This red line is the actual voyage that they took. And you can see way on the right side, they started over here. They couldn't head straight out to sea because the winds were too strong. So they headed north up the coast. And they went around the island of Cyprus to try to get a little bit of protection from the storm. And then they began to head westward. They're trying to get all the way over there to Rome. But you can see they took anything but a direct route. And so what happens is when they get in Lycia, they begin to head southward. And they try to go under the little island of Crete, right there in the middle of the map. And this is where they have this conversation. They are in a harbor on the east side of Crete, or the center of Crete, called Fair Havens. And Paul says, you know what? Weather's bad. It's late in the season. We ought to stay right here. But he was overruled. They said, you know what? Just 40 miles farther on the west coast of Crete is a place called Phoenix. Now, we're from the northeast. How many of you think wintering in Phoenix sounds like a pretty good idea? That was their logic, too. A different Phoenix, but you get the idea. And so they're overruling Paul, and they say, you know what? We're, we're going we're gonna to weigh anchor, and we are going to Phoenix. And so they move out. But no sooner do they leave the port of Fair Havens, the Bible says a northeastern wind begins to blow so violently that it pushes them straight south. They think they're going to go all the way to Cyrene. They're pushed south, and they drift 500 miles miles out into the sea. The Bible communicates exactly what happened to us in this story, but I want you to jump down to verse 18, and it says this, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Can I tell you today, that's exactly what storms do. They just keep coming. They just keep coming until finally you get to the place where you just say, I can't take it anymore. Finally, you get to the place where you're ready to give up. Now, it's Luke that's writing this, and I think it's significant that he includes himself in the narrative. Up to this point, much of what he has said is they did this and they did that, and it was decided, but now he says we finally gave up all hope of being saved. He gave up hope. Aristarchus, one of his ministry partners that was traveling with him, gave up hope. Paul is included in this we. They, they gave up hope. Why? Because it just kept coming for 14 days and nights. They couldn't see the sun to navigate by day. They couldn't see the stars to navigate by night. They were just drifting farther and farther out to sea. I want to say something this morning that, that needs to be heard to keep all of this in context. Not every storm in your life is an attack from Satan. Sometimes we give him more credit than he deserves. Not, not everything you're going through is an attack of the devil. In fact, let me say this. Sometimes 
The storms come in your life because God wants to get you to a place you didn't want to go so that you could hear him say something you weren't listening for. Case in point, Jonah. How many remember his story? God gave him clear instructions, and what does he do? He runs the other direction. But Jonah chapter 1 says, and God hurled a storm at Jonah. Why? Because God wanted to arrest his attention. He wanted to reroute him on the journey to get him back to the place that he needed to be to do what the assignment was that God had for him. Sometimes God leads us into difficult seasons. But here's what I know about the devil. He's an opportunist. See, the Bible says this about the devil in 1 Peter 5.8. It says, the devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for an opportunity. He's looking for an inroad. He wants to find a weak point in your life, in your faith. He's seeking whom he may devour. And so Satan will take every opportunity that he has. He'll use the storms. He'll use the circumstances in your life to try to push you to the place of finally giving up hope. See, the Bible says this in Hebrews 6. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, the anchor of our soul. But the longer the storms come and the more the winds blow against us, what Satan wants us to do is to just cut ourselves from that anchor, cut ourselves free from that hope. And come to the place where finally we've given up, where we've given up all hope of being saved. If, if, he can, if he can shackle you and shut you up from doing the thing that God's called you to do, he'll do it. But better yet, he'd love to separate you from Jesus altogether. He'd love to separate you from the will of God. He'd love to separate you from the plan of God. He'd love for you to get so consumed with your own preferences and the way that things have worked out that you forfeit the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. Not Paul. Paul said, yeah, I was shackled the whole time, but God's word wasn't chained. And even in the midst of this storm, he didn't lose heart. We're about to see what he did. What happens to us is the same thing that happened to the disciples. We talked about this last Sunday. The disciples were themselves in a storm, in a boat with Jesus. And Jesus was sleeping at the stern of the boat. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4 that they woke up Jesus and, and they said, Jesus, don't you care that we drown? Do you feel the separation? happening in their spirit. I mean, these are men that, that made a decision to follow Jesus. These are men that said, we've forsaken all to follow you. And now what are they doing? They're pointing fingers of accusation at Jesus. That's the same thing the devil wants you to do. He wants you to get so consumed with the place that you're at that not only are you losing hope, but you're turning to the place of where you want to accuse God. God, if you loved me, if you cared, in other words, the disciples were saying, we recognize that you have the authority to help us. But since you haven't, our conclusion is you don't care. If you cared, you would save us. See, Luke doesn't say that they lost hope right away. It wasn't on the first day of the storm. It wasn't on the second day. It wasn't on the 
third or the fourth or the fifth day. It was 14 days. 14 days of just being violently battered by the wind and the waves, being storm-tossed right and left, and, and they don't know where they're at, and they don't know where they're going, and they're running out of supplies until finally, he says, we gave up all hope of being saved. See, I, I want you to know today that, that there's no limitation to God, that, that you may feel stuck, you may feel shackled, but God is not chained. His word is not chained. But, but I do want to answer maybe a more difficult question. Maybe a question that some of you have even asked before. And, and the question is this. Yes, God is good. Yes, God's gospel is advancing. But what do I do when the storm just won't stop? And maybe you've been there before. You said, yeah, I mean, I get it. Amen. God's good. And, and yes, the word is going forward. But, but you don't know. You don't know how long I've been in this. I mean, hey, 14 days. I mean, it's been a long time. Maybe for you, it's, it's been longer. And you say, look, my circumstance has just gone on for too long. What do I do when the storm just won't stop? I want to tell you three things right here, beginning in verse 21, that you can do, that I can do, that we must do when the storm won't just, just won't stop. Look at verse 21. It says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Now, when you first read that, you got to laugh because you know what that sounds like, right? That sounds like the big fat, I told you so, right? That we're all tempted to do to people. When they've blown it and they've messed up and then finally they come to their senses, you want to be the, aha. That's what this sounds like. Like Paul is saying, I told you, back in Fair Havens, remember that place? Nice little place to winter. I told you not to go. Hear me, that is, that is what this looks like, but that's not what Paul's doing here. And this is just an important leadership moment for us because you got to understand the context of what's happening. Paul, again, not the captain. He's not the owner. He's passenger B-22 in shackles. He, he's along for the ride here as a prisoner. And so what Paul is doing is he's, he's establishing the credibility of his voice. There may have been a, a gathering there of all the experienced seafarers on, on board. And maybe Paul was invited into this conversation. We're not really sure how it played out, but he is there at the point of decision-making again. And so he's establishing something about his, his character. He's saying, look, I was the only one that got it right the last time. I was the one who spoke the truth to you. I was the one who gave you good advice. And the reason that's important to us as Christians is you need to understand that if you want to speak for God tomorrow, you better live for him today. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Can I say it another way? That your influence tomorrow is purchased with your integrity today. There's a lot of people that want to be used by God, but when they get up to speak for God, they don't have a platform to speak from because of the way they've lived their life. Paul was saying in this moment, look, look at me. Look at the pattern of my life. Look at the information that I've given you in the past. Has everything that I've said been true? Yes, it's been true. You've been speaking the truth. Okay, then let me speak into this crisis today. 
And when people look at you in the midst of their storm, they ought to look at you and not assume you have all the answers, but know that, hey, this is a person who speaks the truth. This is a person who's not just going to tell me what I want to hear. This is a person who has an authority. And we do, by the way. We have an authority that's not our own. It's called the word of God. And we ought to live by this book today so that we can lead by it tomorrow. Look at the next verse. Three things you got to do when the storm won't stop. Number one, you have to pray until you hear from God. Verse 22 says, but now, Paul's speaking. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, let me ask you, how could Paul say that? I mean, back in verse 10, he's the one that said, our voyage is going to be disastrous. There's going to be great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives. So how could he say authoritatively, look, only the ship and the cargo is going to be lost. Now, you guys, you're all going to survive. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I'll tell you why. Because in verse 10, he was speaking as an experienced traveler. Specifically, as someone who was experienced with shipwrecks. He was speaking wise counsel, surveying the weather, looking at the odds, and giving an educated answer. In fact, there's a historian that I was reading about this week named James Smith has the unique balance of being both a theologian and an expert yachtsman. He wrote in the 1800s, and not only was he a theologian that studied the word of God, but he actually traveled the Mediterranean Sea and followed the journey that Paul took. And he said this about the experience. He said, considering the suddenness, the frequency, and the violence with which gales of northerly winds spring up, and the certainty that if such a gale sprang up in the passage from Fair Havens to Phoenix... The ship must be driven off to sea. The prudence of the advice given by the master and the owner was extremely questionable. And the advice given by St. Paul may probably be supported even on nautical grounds. So what he was saying is, scripture aside, man of God aside, on nautical grounds, Paul gave good advice. They probably shouldn't have tried to leave the harbor of Fairhaven and head to Phoenix. But I'm going to tell you, this word that he speaks to them in verse 22 is a different kind of word. This word is an authoritative word. See, the word in verse 10 was wise counsel. And and you should seek wise counsel. You ought to get uh, all of the information, all of the education for your decisions that you can get. But I'm talking about when the storm won't stop. I'm talking about when the situation won't change, when it's gone from bad to worse and you're just stuck in that cycle. You don't need some wise counsel. You don't need an expert opinion. You don't need another book, another podcast. You don't even need a sermon. What you need in that moment is a word from God. You need God to speak a word into your life. That's what Paul got. He got a word from God. Look at verse 23. Last night, he says, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me. 
How did Paul get the word? Prayer. Pray. He prayed. While everybody else was seasick and hanging on to a board, Paul spent the watches of the night praying, seeking the Lord. And, you know, we say this about prayer. You know, oftentimes we encourage people to say, look, it's easy to pray. And in a practical sense, let me just say it is. You don't have to have eloquent words. You don't have to use King James vernacular. You, you can just talk to God like you talk to anybody else. God, God wants you to just be honest with him. He wants you to be who you are. Prayer is simple, practically. But how many of you could testify also today that, that prayer is hard? That, that praying is, is difficult. In fact, Jesus asked his disciples to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember what he told them? He said, could you not tarry with me for one hour? He was saying, one hour. I need you to pray with me for one hour in the most critical moment of my life. Could you not pray for one hour? And then he said these words. You remember? He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what's true for them is true for all of us. Your flesh is weak. Every time you decide to pray, you know what? Your flesh is going to give you an excuse not to pray. Every, every, that's why it's not just in this church. It's most churches. When we call a prayer gathering, far fewer people show up for a prayer meeting than they do for a church service. We have prayer meeting every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Many don't come. Why? Too busy? Well, we're all busy, yes. But this is what your flesh will do. This is what my flesh does. Every time I feel an unction to pray, my flesh gives me a reason not to. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh will always validate prayerlessness in your life. I'm too busy. I got too much going on. It's too noisy in here. It's too quiet in here. I'm too hot. I'm too cold. I got other stuff I've got to get done. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Paul crucified his flesh. So, you know, I, I, I can't go another night without hearing from God. And there's some of you that need to make that kind of commitment. You just need to just get a bulldog tenacity on your faith and say, I, I can't go another night without hearing from God. You need to burn the midnight oil, as they used to say, and just say, God, I, I need a word. I need a word from God. I, I don't need another sermon. I, I don't need another motivator. I, I, I've been in this storm for too long, and God, I need a word. And that's what Paul got. Look at it in verse 24. The angel of the Lord had come to him and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. I, I love that, that word, because that was a word that says, Paul, the thing that I said I was going to do in your life, I'm still doing. I'm, isn't that the fear that the storm causes, that, that somehow we're missing it? As we blow adrift, as, as the tides change, and we go, wait a minute, this wasn't the plan. This wasn't the way I thought it was going to go. The fear is I'm missing it. I'm missing it. 14 days at sea. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. And the word of the Lord comes and says, Paul, don't be afraid. You're still going to stand trial before Caesar. You see, the last time that Paul had had a visitation from God in the night watches and God spoke a word to him, it was in Acts 23. 
where he was again on trial, not knowing what the future would hold. And the Bible says in Acts 23, verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and he said these words. He said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. He had no idea that a couple of years later, he'd still be in the same shackles. He had no idea that he'd be sitting on a storm-tossed vessel, uh, surrounded by a bunch of other prisoners. He didn't know that's the way it was going to work, but he had a word. I'm taking you to Rome. And in the night watches, Paul said, I got to get a word from God. And he prayed, and God showed up, and he said, the thing that I said I was going to do in your life. Paul, I know you're chained, but my word is not chained. My word is not limited. Number two, here's what you have to do when the storm just won't stop. You need to remember that God is gracious, that he's gracious. Look at verse 24. He goes on. Here's what the angel told him. And he said, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Now think about who's sailing with Paul right now. I mean, this, this vessel is full of Convicted felons. I mean, most of these people are on their way to the gladiators' coliseum in Rome. They're going to be fed to the lions, and they're going to be used for sport. None of these people deserve to be rescued. God didn't have to do that. No doubt, those other shipwrecks that Paul survived, not everybody survived them. I mean, God may be working in his life, but he might be thinking at this point, like, I'm going to get out of here, and hopefully Luke is going to get out with me, maybe, but, but God, you got to save me. And then the word of the Lord comes and says, Paul, not only are you going to stand before Caesar in Rome, but I'm going to graciously give you the lives of all these men with you. And this is a picture of the gospel. This is what the gospel looks like, because the truth is, it's not about God saving Paul and forsaking the rest. There's not a man on this ship, Paul included, who deserved to be saved. That's why years later, when Paul, or years earlier, when Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 3 and verse 23, he said, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us, you, me, we all have fallen short of God's glory. None of us deserve to be saved, but God is gracious. When the storm won't stop, don't forget that God is gracious because the enemy wants to lie to you and begin, you begin to rationalize, well, maybe, maybe God's allowed this in my life because he's mad at me. Maybe God's doing this because I deserve judgment. Maybe, maybe God is punishing me Maybe it's not working out for me, and it is working out for them because they're his favorite, and I'm not. Listen, God is gracious. And he says, Paul, I'm going to spare the lives of all these men. And that is the heart of God today. Not a person in this room is disqualified for his grace. Number three, when the storm won't quit, you need to get a word from God. You need to remember that God is gracious. And finally, you need to have faith in God. Have faith in God. That's exactly what Paul said to them in verse 25. He says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. He didn't say, I, I believe in God. 
He said, I believe God. I I prayed, I got a word from God, and I believe that it's going to happen the way that God said it's going to happen. When you're in the midst of what seems like an unending circumstance, you need to just have faith in God. Verse 26, nevertheless, he says, we must run aground on some island. Again, this is the gospel. This is the church. This is the hope of the world that we're seeing allegorically played out in this this ship and in this storm. He's saying, look, all of you, you put your faith and your confidence in all of your seafaring ability. You put your faith and your confidence in this Alexandrian vessel. But the reality is, it's not going to make it to the shore. The truth that needs to be told today is that it doesn't matter what you've hitched your wagon to. It doesn't matter what you've put your hopes in. Anything other than Jesus won't get you to heaven's shore. Anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to leave you short. And what Paul was saying in that moment is you got to cast away your hopes in this vessel and you got to hope in God. You got to just simply believe that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. Have faith in God. We're going to have to run this thing aground somewhere. But not a man will be lost. You'll be rescued. You'll be delivered. Shackles and storms. I want to pray for you today. Prayed for you many times this week already. And I just sensed in my heart that there's probably many people here today listening to this message that you feel like you feel like you've been shackled. I mean, you just you just feel like you can't move forward. You're chained. And you need to just hear this word today. God's gospel is not chained. That Paul's fourth journey was just as effective as his first three. Because God's word is not chained. Because what we call limitations, God doesn't know anything about. He knows no limits. He has all power, all authority. And today, some of you need to just Stop making excuses of your circumstance. Stop allowing the devil to shift your focus to your preferences so much so that you forfeit God's priority and purpose for your life. And I sense today that there are others that you you just, you've been in it for a long time. And I don't say this in condemnation. I say this out of love, but maybe you have got to the place where you say, we finally, never thought I'd see myself here. Never thought I'd say this, but we finally have given up all hope being saved. God wants to give you a word today. He wants to give you a word in this moment. And I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. Open your heart up to the Spirit right now. Father, today, in this moment, would you do what only you can do? Father, would you encourage and lift up the heavy hearts in this room today, those that are struggling to trust you, those that are struggling to discern what you might be doing, those that feel 
storm-tossed, those that feel limited by their situation. God, today, I pray that you would bring freedom to their hearts. Jesus, you said the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set at liberty those who are in captivity. God, you may never unlock the chains that shackle us in the natural, but God set at liberty every heart in this place today. Help us to see that you're not chained, that your word is not limited. Father, today, I just pray in this moment that you would speak a word of faith into the heart of every weary soul. God, we need your word. God, remind us today that you are gracious. For those here today that that are interceding, maybe it's not the storm in their own life that's raging, but it's, it's others that they see their life just being wrecked. It's being destroyed by bad choices and by situations. God, the tendency for us is to lose heart and to think maybe they've gone too far. But God, speak a word of grace today over every intercessor in this place. Cause us to remember again that, God, you are gracious. And our families will be saved. Our loved ones will be saved. Our prodigals will come home. The lost will be found because you're gracious. God, give us a word today that we can wrap our faith around again.